Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 297 preview show. My name is Carl Bainbridge and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the anvil to my Bret Hart. He's my friend and yours. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. Very good to be here. I wish I thought of a Canadian team now, but I was going to say I'm glad to be the R-Truth to your Miz. Yeah. So. Well, it was either going to be that or the uh, Jim Davidson to my John Virgo, but I think that might have gone through a lo- over a lot of people's heads. And when you read up on Jim Davidson, not the best comparison. Yeah, I, I thought of, whenever you said, uh, when I realized the Canadian connection for you, I thought, oh, I'll do the uh, like Dynamite Kid. And I was like, nah, like they're British anyways. I don't know why. I was because of this heart family association. I always, at a, at a glance, the British Bulldogs for some reason, I think, are Canadian. We're about two minutes into the video, and we've already started talking about wrestling. Is that a record? (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while, Joe. It's been a while. We've got it all out of our chest. We've had uh, a lot of fun over the festive period, so um, it's good to get back on track. This is our first preview show of 2024. UFC 297 is just around the corner. It'll be taking place on the 20th of January, 2024. And as you've sort of alluded to... With all of the comparisons, it will be taking place in Canada, our second Canadian event since we came back from lockdown. And I don't know about you, Joe, I think this card has been getting a lot of criticism, and we'll talk about one of the reasons why a little bit later on. But I think compared to what we got with 289, the last time we went to Canada, I think a stronger card overall. Oh, yeah. Like, for... uh, I don't think... I will say, I don't think the main events, like the two title fights are going to be barn burners and they're not big names. Uh, like we have one big name in there, which Strickland, but, um, I mean, I think they're interesting because they hold ramifications, which is what I care about. Um, you got guys like Mike Malott, who is very interesting to me. Uh, Arnold Allen gets to be on the big stage, like, which is super exciting. And Chris Curtis is always kind of fun, at least unless his opponent knows how to circle, but you know. Yeah, which he proper kicked off at uh, Jack Hermanson for, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Jack Hermanson just kind of circled away from him and just shut him down, and he was furious over it. Yeah, I actually think that could be a sneaky little barn burner, but obviously we will get into it. Um, But I think one of the big reasons why people are downplaying 297 is because of what we're seeing in the months after. We look at these pay-per-views and the build-up to UFC 300, and it was the same thing as what happened when... The UFC were building up to 200. You looked at 198, 199, 200 itself. They stacked it with a lot of star power. It was intended to be this big blockbuster. And I think because of that, 297 has sort of been a bit lost in the shuffle, especially when it lost uh, Rakic and Blahovitz and uh, Dominic Reyes versus Olberg. I think if it had those two fights, I think people would be a lot more positive about it. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I kind of think of it like uh, two comparisons come up to mind is... I think about like, you know, remember, you know, like on like at post Royal Rumble, like sorry to bring up wrestling again, <laughs> but like post post Royal Rumble, you know, you have Elimination Chamber, which that match is always kind of fun, but everything else on that card you don't really care about. And then no one cared about Fastlane. Fastlane. <laughs> yeah. No one cares about Fastlane. And then because that's just kind of how it is. There's a slow period right before your biggest show. And... Uh, I think about like UFC 99 before UFC 100. UFC 99, uh, do you remember the main event for that? Uh, you I know was... you weren't watching, but you have a great knowledge. Are we talking 199 or 99? No, n- 99. 
I remember uh, was, was it Vondelier versus Franklin? Yeah. And the co-main event was Czech Congo versus unproven and still kind of unknown Kane Velasquez. Ooh. You know? Yeah. So people complained about that card because I, I remember 98 as well. I think I, I think I do. Actually, I might have just lost it. But because um, early in that year, you had BJ Penn and GSP. And that was huge. And then it was like really slow. And then like 90, then uh, 99 had that card. I, I always remember that card because that was the first card I went and saw with my family after getting back into the sport and going, dude, this Kane Velasquez guy, he's actually pretty good. I hope he, you know, keeps going. Are you subtly hinting at uh, people to try and nominate that one for a retro review? That'd be cool. That'd be a really cool uh, walk down memory lane for me. I mean, I got to do the Elite XC one, which was my first card back you know watching with my dad super cool going like kimbo versus ken shamrock that dude's still fighting I'm like all right you know <laughs> little did i know bellator would drag him out later i will say i have been taken aback and thank you very much for this as well to anybody who's tuning in i want to say a big thank you to the people who have been supporting the retro reviews now being on um inc live I think it's a better fit. The numbers seem to be doing really well. The, the feedback seems to be quite positive. And we've got another one which hopefully will be out at so either this week or next week, which we're really looking forward to. And there is a bit of a Canadian theme to that one. So we'll leave you on the um, tenter hooks, as it were. That's all coming up later on in the show. For now, though, we are going to be talking about the prelims. You can see those on your screen right now. And, of course, being in Canada, we've got a lot of Canadian ta talent filling out this prelim portion of the card. Are there any particular names that stand out for you as people that we should be looking out for? Uh, Jasmine Jude, uh, Jasuda Vicious. Yes. Against Priscilla Cachuera, who is still who is still employed for some reason. <laughs> um, just saying. Uh, but Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, despite not having a Wikipedia, don't let that fool you. She's actually pretty good. She beat Miranda Maverick, who I think is very good. Uh, so I expect this to be kind of a showcase for her in the grand scheme of things. So we'll see. Um, the fight that sounds really fun is uh, Sean Woodson versus Charles Jordan. Oh, that's a prelim barn burner. Like, in terms of fun factor, you could put that on the main card. Yeah. Um, um, it's going to be an interesting but, one as well for Sean Woodson because at one point, I wouldn't say people were eyeing him up as a prospect, but he was just somebody that people kept a curious eye on just let's just keep an eye on this guy let's see what he's able to do and that seemed to have died down a little bit like there is no real fanfare about sean woodson coming into this was it the was it because of the Lu luis saldana fight? i think so yes because like he's looked i'm like looking at his record he only has one loss to juicy j luis saldana should have ko'd him like there's no excuse in my mind. Like, he just kept, like, walking off after, like, trying to be cool, and it just failed miserably for him. But, and then he illegally kneed him in the head, and then they got the, the, the split draw because of the point taken. Um, but he should have been a KO for Saldana. But uh, I think, or Saldana, technically. But I I don't know. Like, he's 6'2 at a 145 long limbs attacks the body well can jump and fly if he needs to he's fun he's a barrel of fun and charles jordan um it was actually kind of fun watching him beat up cron gracie a while back that was really fun for me 
maybe because I'm a Gracie hater, you know, but I mean, it was, it was just kind of fun watching that. That's one thing but that's really think... come to mind for me recently is obviously we've done quite a few of um, videos since we last met up and one of them was the worst Gracie moments and I don't think you're in a minority. It's, it's really taken me aback by how venomous some fans are towards the Gracie family in 2024. I wish nothing... I have nothing but respect for them for what yes. they've done for the sport. That said, if they're going to fight, I'm rooting against them. I'm, su- That's just, I'm surprised you haven't... I'm just a... I'm just, I just don't like them. I don't know what it is. I'm surprised you haven't brought up Brad Katona versus Garrett Armfield. It's Katona's first I, fight since winning Toth. Uh, he's beat Cody be- Gibson, right? What's that? He, was it Cody Gibson he beat? Cody Gibson, and it was a barn burner. Yes, I actually forgot about that fight until you... So when you said, I saw it. And it didn't click. And then when you said his name, it went like, yeah, that fight's insane. Um, Cody, Gib- or Cody Gibson, Brad Katona was an incredible fight. Um, probably a top five fight of last year, admittingly. I think everyone kind of picked the same one for fight of the year. I think we all picked Volk Islam. Yeah, the first one, which that fight's just basically perfect in my brain. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that fight was really good definitely a really good fight so i'm actually kind of interested in seeing what he does post tough yep good uh gillian robertson also fights on the undercard she does yes she, um yeah and i think we've seen Gillian's ceiling in terms of what she's capable yeah. of i think she's always going to be like a fun prelim fighter if she gets you on the ground mm-hmm. it could be some fast scrambles there's potential of that with pollyanna viana because she's quite ground heavy as well or we get sloppy kickboxing match don't don't remind me. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't say who her opponent was, despite being a absolutely beautiful woman that I have respect for. She could kill me in a fight. Sure, uh, I will never forgive her for the JJ Aldridge ne- fight. I would never forgive her. If she asked me out on a date, I would go. I would have a great time, uh, and I wouldn't call her back. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I stole that joke from. Oh, funny enough, actually, wearing the shirt from Anchorman, but I've just cleaned it up. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I think Gillian. I'm kind of curious how she's gonna look, though. I, this is why I'm interested in that fight. Is they're not just fighters; they're people too. And she's kind of had her name dragged through the mud from because of personal life kind of exploding. Uh, and the consensus between fans is it's her fault. It's not our job to get into that kind of gossip. But um, that said, I'm genuinely curious how she's going to perform after that kind of thing. And uh, I am rooting for her because of said prior fight, you know. Um, but it's I think I'm I'm going to check that out. The, the prelims act. I always love watching the prelims. The prelims you always get to see some usually some pretty good names. But that Jordan. And Sean Woodson fight is just... And the prelims of 282 are thought were better than the main card. Oh, yeah. The prelims were amazing. I remember watching the prelims with my best friend, and he goes, all right, I'm I'm not not watching the fights. I'm going to go on a date. And he just left. Him and his girlfriend got up and left. And I went, I guess I'm watching these by myself. And I got stuck watching the full fight card by myself. (laughs) It wasn't a good card. (laughs) Fingers crossed. The prelims for this one build up and fingers crossed that the main card surpasses what we saw at 296. And kicking off the main card, we are going to the featherweight division and a potential title eliminator in that weight class. 
Arnold Allen, what many people consider to be Britain's best hope for another UFC champion. He's going to be taking on Movsar Evloyev, who is the number nine seed right now, unbeaten so far in his career. And the betting odds show that Evloyev is a minus 140 favorite. You can get Allen in at plus 170. Now, obviously, a lot of this is going to depend on what happens between Volkanovski and Tupuria. But if Volk was to win this one, are we looking at the winner of this fight potentially being next? I don't think if Arnold Allen wins, sadly, because his last fight he lost to Max Holloway in a good fight, but he was beaten pretty pretty handily. But who who beats Max? Unless your last name is Volkanovski or you're a rugby player, who beats Max at 145? Um, so I don't I don't I think Ovloyev could. And it's funny too. I'm surprised he's the betting odds favorite because I feel like at least when it comes to like crowd consensus, his stock kind of took a big mm. hit because of the uh, Diego Lopez fight. I wonder if it could be. I think it's two things. I think it's that zero next to his name. I think that mm-hmm. always plays a factor when it comes to the uh, betting odds. But also as well, there's always been the stigma around British fighters when it comes to wrestling. It's fair. It's fair. Uh, Arnold Allen's got good counter wrestling though. Like he's pretty good at not getting put on his butt. You know, he's he he's a definitely a much better striker in this matchup. Uh, Avloyev is going to have to just rush for this takedown and just you know try and take him down. But uh, I I kind of feel like Allen. I'm I try, I'm trying to think of a guy who's like actively trying taking him down. I know Gilbert Gibbler. Excuse me, Gibbler. <laughs> Gibbler Melendez tried doing it, and he had no success. But that was after he was getting kind of beat up. And is there anybody I can think of without looking it up that has tried taking Arnold Allen down? I know Sadiq Youssef and him was just a stand-up war. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Maybe Mads Burnell? <laughs> yes, actually, Mads Burnell did try to. and uh, But he's not the best wrestler, but his jiu-jitsu is insane. Mads Burnell is awesome on the ground so be- uh, if he can get you there <laughs> so bearing this in mind like you sort of touched on it there do you think the UFC made a mistake booking Max versus Arnold Allen because let's say Arnold had fought somebody else after the Calvin Cater fight and won that one you would have had a guy on a 13 fight winning streak who would have been going up against Volkanovski and you'd be thinking it would have made that fight seem a lot more sellable a lot more intriguing because of that winning streak but if you were to give Arnold Allen the title fight now, bearing in mind the Max fights just happened, you're just going to see it as... It, we're going to see it in the same way that we did with Yair. Like, I don't think yeah. people bought Yair as a contender because he had that loss to Max quite recently. I kind of... I agree with that. I think that's a kind of a pitfall we could run into. I think he should have fought a guy, like, at the time he was unbeaten, but Bryce Mitchell, um, still unbeaten to Poria, uh, Josh Emmett, instead of, like, I think there was a couple of names he could have taken. I mean, obviously, um, he beat Cater as well. Arnold Allen did. Like, his standing um, at the time might not have been as high, but in terms of name value, what about Zombie? Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, that would have hurt, but I would have, you know, I, I, would, I've been, I would have been okay with it. It would have just hurt to watch, you know, if that makes sense. Um yeah, I, th- I I think he needs, like, another name under his belt. Because, I mean, I think his most impressive win, uh, besides the uh, Calvin Cater one, I-, I really like that Sadiq Youssef one. I think that's a pretty good feather in his cap. 
when they were both on the way up, both guys had a ton of hype on them. And excuse me, someone's O has to go. Certainly so. Um, so let's delve into the detail when it comes to Arnold Allen here. A 19-2 record. The Holloway loss snapped a 12-fight winning streak. It was the first time he'd lost in the UFC. Notable wins outside of Sadiq Yusuf. We touched on some of them. Calvin Cater, Dan Hooker, who should never have been fighting at featherweight. Uh, Gilbert yeah. Melendez and Mats Bunnell. Seven KOs, four submissions, and never been stopped in his career. Both his losses are by decision. He's got a hell of a chin on him because Max started putting like real oomph into his shots, and he did nearly finish him, but he didn't. You know, just the difference between nearly getting it and getting it. And to be honest, I don't think Arnold Allen fought badly against Max Holloway. It's just it's a sign of how good Max is as a fighter that he just wasn't able to get it done. Like it reminded me a little bit of like I'm trying to think like Robbie Lawler versus Matt Brown. In that, oh, that fight's so it's good. a really good fight. Like you could tell that Robbie was going to win the fight, but you couldn't say that Matt Brown fought badly. No. Yeah, it was one of those like this is a competitive even though I'm scoring five rounds for Max, this is still a competitive fight. And uh, that's kind of like, I think that like, Yair also had that kind of close competitive fight with Max like that, where I thought Max was easily winning, but, or not, we're not easily winning, but winning for sure most of the time, but it was competitive. And that's like a pitfall of 145 though, I think. Like 145, when you look at its talent, you go, oh, how is this not the best division on the planet right now? Because historically, it usually is like it's usually 55 30 45 and 35 right or like historically the best divisions um back in the day you could even add 170 to that nowadays um but um yeah i it, the problem is you have two guys at the top who are just killing off everybody like it almost i i think what they did with Taporia was smart because do you really want to risk mm-hmm. A guy like Max just piecing him up, and it's like, cool, now we, are we doing Max Holloway, Volkanovski 6? You, you know? Um, and that's a similar problem I think Flyweight's going to have with Pantoja and Moreno. But I I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird problem that Division has because you have guys like Josh Emmett just had a huge KO over Bryce Mitchell, who I still think is good. Uh, Dan Ige is a lot of fun. I don't think he's ever getting a title shot, but he's fun. He's fun to watch. Uh, Calvin Cater when he comes back. You have Yair, Brian Ortega. Uh, Lopez. Yeah, Diego Lopez, Vloyev. Like, there's a lot of fun names. And the Pat Sabatini is even pretty fun. Um, but you all have to you have to kind of consider, like, they have to go through that potential wood chipper in Max Holloway just to get a title shot, and that kind of hurts. Yeah. I was actually yeah. surprised they didn't book Max versus Evloyev, and I say this for a few reasons, because yeah. Max has never fought a guy who's like that sort of that Russian-style wrestler before, so that would have been something to really test out his takedown defense. If, oh, yeah. And if, if Max wins, you kill off a contender who, let's be honest, doesn't have the most exciting fighting style. If Evloyev wins, he's killed off the sort of semi-boss. He's killed off Goro to Volkanovski's Shao Kahn. Yeah. It's, that's a win-win in matchmaking, I think. You know, like, as bad as that sounds. Like, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, 
<laughs> trying to think, what's the phrase? I don't want to use the one I thought of. Um, not to offend anyone's taste in what they find exciting, because there's it's obviously a subjective thing. But um, not a lot of people like the aggressive wrestling style. Like I only like like one or two guys who do it uh, overall in terms of their stylings. But um, I think that's a win-win because I, I don't I know the UFC probably doesn't want like we have five wrestlers as our world champions they don't like that no. you know there's a reason adesanya got a huge push is because he's a kickboxer they love their strikers and um that also kind of reminds me of max almost fought habib and i was really interested in that matchup that wouldn't have gone well for max i think max would have made it i think max would have uh done better than expected i think he would have lost still but max was supremely confident at that press conference, and he almost made me a believer. Like, but uh, they almost fought, and it's kind of. And, and if Max would have won one more round against Poirier, they would have fought. Actually, kind of crazy how close those guys got to cross and pass a couple times. To think about, but you mentioned that's a talk for another day. You mentioned that there with the wrestling heavy style, because I I speak to a lot of people like Kaposa especially, and he. He often brings up that a lot of the guys on the regional scene fighting in these promotions like ACA, places like that, he says that a lot of their talent is better than what's in the UFC, but he is of the belief that the UFC choose not to sign those guys because they don't want to have the risk of every champion being a, a Dagestani smasher. So they intentionally pass over fighters who have that kind of style. I mean... It's it's probably that's actually that's that's a great guy to talk to about that stuff. Uh, the best when it comes to regional scene, or like any non-major promotion, that guy is the the wealth of knowledge. But that's a really interesting point because yeah. I, I you got to think. I, I mean I know Joe Rogan used to say like the best base for MMA is wrestling, um, and like these sambo wrestlers are pretty pretty terrifying when it comes to how like they they deal with it they might have found in my opinion maybe the second best style of like how to fight in mma that's like there's no objective number one style well, there is but no one talks about how good it is i think but the best style is the second best style has to be this sambo wrestling hybrid that these dagestani guys just kind of figured out and for the record the best style of course I think you can guess it. Joe Sondo? No, I was going to say Teep Kick and the Double. <laughs> I'm shocked I kept the straight face through all that. I I, I, I kept looking at myself in, the, in my view to try to see, like, am I cracking? Am I cracking? Am I cracking? I'm shocked I kept the straight face through all that. That's the number one, though. But number two's got to be the Sambo Wrestling. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, this does bring us nicely onto a vlogger of a guy who does use that kind of style. And we yeah. sort of hinted on it with our little uh, diatribe there. Is this guy letting himself down with this wrestling-centric approach? Is he going through the sort of like Bilal hoops, like where people kind of find his style a bit boring and the UFC don't want to push him as hard because of it? Because you'd think 17-0, and 0, never lost in the UFC... Um, outside of Hakeem Dawadu, never looked close to losing. Uh, maybe, because he doesn't have any finishes, is the thing. 
That's that's like what's going to hurt him. And some guys just don't have power, you know? Like there's nothing – like Michael Bisping got crapped on forever for being pillow-handed, and he is. Like he's going to beat you with a thousand punches, not yes. one or two. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with a guy who is dominant on the ground and just can't snatch that submission, you know? Like, not everybody's a Diego Lopez where you touch the ground and suddenly you're in lava. Um, which I keep bringing up him because, seriously, that fight is fantastic between those two. That that fight is fantastic. Not because of Avloyev, sadly, but takes two to tango, so. But, um, yeah, I think... I hate the Bilal Muhammad uh, comparison because it's so true. That is a fear you kind of have for a guy. Because I feel so – I Bilal Muhammad, I would rather take a nap than watch him fight. Just got to be open with myself and honest. I But I, I want him to get a title yes. shot. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to drink as much coffee and caffeine to watch it But because he deserves it. It's a meritocracy just because you're – like I talked about that in a retro review very recently. <laughs> no spoilers. But about being boring is fine, like because it's a sport first. It's not entertainment. And some people don't see that. Some people think it's an entertainment first product. I think it's a sport first product, you know, Um, and I think it could hurt him. But I think at some point you're just undeniable. Like Habib had all the injuries and stuff like that and bad weight cuts that stopped him from getting an earlier title shot. It, uh, but he was a finisher on the ground. Like he could, he was finishing guys. He had KOs on the feet. So, and the UFC did like him. He would have gotten a title shot early. He wouldn't have been in that kind of situation where it's like never lost a round except for the Gleason T-Bell fight. You know, he wouldn't. He would have still had that hype if he never got hurt or injured or anything like that. Like he was supposed to fight for the title, but Connor got a title shot over him. That's why he was mad after the one of my favorite post-fight interviews. Um, when he beat Michael Johnson and he called all of Ireland a bunch of chickens, which is apparently, I didn't know this until like a year or so after that fight. Um, that is like an incredibly offensive insult in his cult, in Habib's culture. Like there's the phrase estupido, you know, for calling someone stupid in Spanish. That's a big insult in, in like Mexico. That's a huge insult. Apparently chicken is like that. You know, it'd be like calling someone the C word or the T word. Apparently, that's a huge insult. So I thought it was just kind of funny. Second language. That's the only word he knows is an insult. But no, apparently that's a huge insult. But anyways, with Avloyev, I I really do fear that potential situation for him because he doesn't deserve that. You know, there's nothing wrong with being boring. I'm not going to want like there's a ton of guys I didn't want to watch fight throughout the UFC and. It just is what it is. If you're the best, I'm going to watch you. Even if I want to or not, I'm going to watch you because I want to see who the best is. That's that's just my opinion on it. And how do you think these two guys fare off against one another? Is this a straight-up striker versus wrestler style? Is this a case of how can Arnold, Hall- Arnold Allen hold himself on the ground if he gets taken down? Is Evloyev just trying to survive in the striking until he can get the takedown? Is, is this just striker versus grappler? Is there a more intangibles to that. I, I I always kind of feel like everyone wants to say, I've heard people say this and I disagree with it, that there is no such thing as striker, gra- striker grappler matchups anymore. Um, when that totally isn't the case, uh, everybody knows everything. 
but not everyone's a master at everything no. is kind of the how it's evolved into you know um it isn't like tank abbott who's never seen a wrestling mat in his life outside of going to see three count for <laughs> tickets uh <laughs> but um i eh, <laughs> couldn't help it um but uh it, you know i th- i think it is going to be that i think I'm very curious about Arnold Allen's takedown defense because he seems like a super well-rounded guy. Like he seems like in all my memories of him, I I don't remember him really getting taken down. And if he does, he's right back up and he's usually the one maintaining clinch control. He has good clinch techniques. Um, I see him. I'm picking Allen to win by decision. I think it's going to be gutsy. I don't know if he can finish Ovloyev. We've never seen a guy get finished, but also with these wrestling types, you also don't see him get hit a ton. Like, you know, that's like uh, like Matt Hughes didn't wasn't the most durable guy in the world, but when you hit, but he was also kind of hard to hit because he's, you know, he's diving on your legs every thirty seconds. Um, I'm really curious about that. And if I also remember correctly, Arnold Allen, uh, he's a southpaw, correct? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, and Arnold and Vloyev is I th- I believe he fights orthodox when I was researching this. He was mostly kind of squared up cuz he's prepping for the takedown, wasn't really striking a ton. But something I talk about, I feel like in every video, <laughs> every video I ever do, I always talk about it cuz it's so common. The open side matchup, that left knee is ready for to intercept whenever he ducks down. Always you never know. It's a it's just there. I've seen Joaquin Hansen melt guys in pride and in dream with that shot. So I I always think eh, it's, there's a good chance. Was it Hooker versus it. Pearson? Something similar? Yeah. Hooker Pearson, uh, Hooker switched stances and came up the middle with it. as Because Pearson, Pearson had like the most underrated head movement ever. And Pearson went to duck and dip inside as Hooker was bringing the knee up to counter it. And it was just one of the best KOs ever. Um, and he did that to Jim Miller also. Dan Hooker did. Jim, he blasted Jim Miller the same way, if I remember correctly. Um, who fights tonight? I'm actually really excited. Yeah. Because I, I want him to fight Patty. Oh, I fought yesterday. So congratulations, Jim Miller, oh, on yeah. the big win. Or commiserations, Jim. Let's fingers crossed you can get, oh, um, you can get back for UFC oh. 300. <laughs> Very, very OSW of us. Oh, he didn't pull the trigger. Boo, boo, Tony Khan. Or, yeah, he did it. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. I am going to be picking a Vloyev to win this one. I just think okay. there's a lot of question marks about what Arnold Allen can do if he does get taken down. Because you find a lot of guys who do have great takedown defense. They are a little bit clueless when they are actually there. It's mm-hmm. um, something which I do have a concern with when it comes to the core main event. A little bit of a spoiler alert. Um, so... But I don't think Evloyev is going to be doing enough to finish him. So I think it's going to be another... He's sort of like the anti-Shafkart, where it's like 18-0, but all of them by decision. That's a very good good way to describe it, the anti-Shafkart. So we move on to fight number two, and we're going up to the middleweight division. It is very interesting to see... And I was going to mention this when it came to the preview show, but middleweight is the high, heaviest weight class featured on this weight class, on this card. So I think there might be a little bit of a leaning towards the smaller divisions. I think that's always good to see because I'm not a big fan of the heaviest two weight classes, to be honest. They kind of suck. It's just 
you know, you're you're much more polite than me. I have no problem yeah. with uh, saying that. I don't think they're very good. The great thing about being British is you get all the politeness, but at the same time, Britain has some of the most offensive insults that you can come across. Like, trust me, I know some Brits who can be very foul-mouthed. I'm a Jimmy Carr fan, so... <laughs> I, I'm aware. I I uh, I listened to Jimmy Carr earlier today, and I just watched a bunch of his jokes, and it's like this guy's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other like great British comedians that I recommend. Um, I always used to love uh, Vic and Bob, Reeves and Mortimer. Mm. Like if you ever watch, watch Shooting Stars, if you get a chance, one of the funniest TV shows of all time. I do like me a good British British television show. Yeah. I was a big fan of the IT crowd. I I watched that once a year almost. Uh, very good. Very good. And speaking of very good, are we expecting that from Chris Curtis versus Marc-Andre Barriot? Now, it's interesting to note that both of these guys, their last appearance came on the same card. Ironically enough, in Canada, UFC 289, uh, Chris Curtis had a no contest against Nasadine Imarov, and Marc-Andre Barriot had a surprisingly fun match against Eric Anders. So, yeah. like, I think there's a lot of people that sort of turn their nose up looking at this fight. I think there's a lot more upside to it than people think. This fight's going to be really fun, honestly. This fight's probably... I think it's a, a sleeper fight of the night pick. Because I think I think the safe... Actually, this is probably the safe pick for fight of the night. I, I think the sleeper pick would be something I have, I'm picking later on. But um, this is probably the best, you know, bang for the buck for a fight night pick. Or a fight of the night pick. And this fight to me as well is... I, I sort of made this reference when Barrio fought Eric Anders. It is the quintessential Mick Maynard fight. Like, Mick Maynard seems to love these kind of middleweights and 205ers who, they might not be the most technical, but they make up with it with sort of like natural physicality and sort of like muscle upon muscle. More sort of like built, units. I think that's the best way to call them. Beef. Beef. <laughs> And this is another example of it. Chris Curtis fits that trope. Barrio certainly does. It's very much a McMahonard fight. Oh, yeah. Two big, heavy, sweaty guys. Someone get Vince McMahon out of there. <laughs> you know? Like, Are you um, suggesting Gary Strider make his MMA debut? I Hear me out. Him and Otis. The, 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 winner, the winner gets ownership of... Wow! <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, this this fight is going to be insane. I yeah. think I, I I this is a fight I have pitched to people like no, trust me, come over watch this card. Trust me, this card's good. I swear, because <laughs> uh, there's no like the name value just isn't quite here. But this fight's sick. I think because um, Barrio he is a big, powerful brute that is just athleticism and power. Uh, his KO over Julian Marquez is horrifying. <laughs> uh, and Chris Curtis is, if you're just, if you're not technical, Chris Curtis has a chance of letting it rip. And when he does, he lights dudes up. Yeah. And Barrio is kind of a tank. So that sounds like just a recipe for a fun night. Chris Curtis, I think he's been one of the sort of success stories of this sort of like post apex era because he was a guy who he was a bit of a journeyman figure he fought in the pfl he was actually close to retiring i think he did retire after losing on the pfl he gets a short notice opportunity against phil hawes and jumps on it with both hands and i think he's turned into a little bit of a fan favorite as well i mean you look at some of these notable wins uh joaquin buckley who we finished brendan allen which is a win which has aged very well 
Phil Hawes, as we mentioned. Um, and also, even if it wasn't the most exciting fight, the guy neutralized and stuffed every single one of Adolfo Vieira's takedowns. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was a very impressive performance, even if the fight itself wasn't the most exciting. Shows you how balanced he is. Yes. Like, yeah. I think it's like a, I think Chris Curtis is, like, he's probably a little too good to be a boy, but I think he gets in. Like, if he's a he's 100% boy worthy, because he is so much fun. If um, you have Chris Curtis on your boy's stable, I'm not turning my nose up at that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's not in mine, but... Um, yeah, uh, mine though just seems to be, is it, why is it Cheyenne Vlisma seven times? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, she's a, she's a taken woman. She just had a baby. Well, I'm not going to say anything. I, I don't, I like, I like my job here. Uh, that's what I'll say, <laughs> you know? Uh, hey, I'll let, I'll let you get away with all of the Chev slander. You're okay for now. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've dated moms before. Okay. Listen. I like. <laughs> I'll be fine, um, but uh, I forgot she had a baby. That's why she hasn't been around. Yeah, yeah. breaks my heart. Um, anyways, back to this fight. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I think I think this fight's. I don't think any, no one's talking about how fun this fight is. I think it's going to be a blast because um, Curtis. Here's what I like about him: he can kick. He doesn't really kick too often, uh, but he is a southpaw boxer. And that just loves to attack the body, and he loves to hand fight. Like his hand, his his lead hand, his right hand is either right here, looking to Philly Shell, kind of like his teammate and friend Sean Strickland, or he's taking away the lead hand and looking to exploit uh, the South orthodox guys with the left hand, which is just so much fun for me. I love that. I think he reads the fight game really well. That's the big thing that yeah. I've noticed with uh, Chris Curtis is, um, especially against guys who throw with a lot of volume, eventually he starts getting the read on you. So I think he's very good at making these sort of mid-fight adjustments to uh, sort of, once he realizes what a guy is going to throw and when, that's when he's able to counter. And that's where you get the Phil Horse knockout. That's how you get the Brendan Allen knockout. Because... He was facing a lot of early adversity in both of those matches and came back to win. Yeah, he's a slow starter. Like he has the KO power to put you out first shot, but he he he, he like he's very methodical in his approach. Sometimes that's to a fault because for as smart as the guy definitely comes across at times, there are other times where he isn't seem that like well versed in the striking game because Chakra Manson just circled like to his weak side and shut him down. And that was weird that Chris Curtis had no answer for that. Like, and I'm not trying to, not trying to jeopardize my job here, but it was very reminiscent to me of your girl taking on the, the queen of the wall install like years ago, like just circling, just shuts them down, you know? And, uh, like it kind of reminded me of that, obviously not the same outcome, but Chris Curtis was livid after that fight over being shut down just by a guy circling on him. And it I wasn't think, like, I think it wasn't it's like because, I didn't want to fight. I think it's because Curtis knew as well that that was probably his like, big opportunity to break through. Because yeah. if, if he was to beat Hermanson, he's in the top 10, and people... Uh, like, I could see him headlining an Apex fight night if he beats Hermanson. Oh, yeah. He would have fought Roman Delice, probably knocked him out, making me a happy man. And then... <laughs> 
I wonder why. <laughs> I I there was a reason I brought up Cheyenne of Lismos. I was always gonna bring it around there. Uh, I I saw my connection and I took it. But <laughs> no, I mean like Chris Curtis was on a good streak and that just shut him down. And it's definitely cooled him off a bit. But he's still a barrel of fun. So post in your comments who is more jealous, Joe or JP Bears? Yeah, that's a fair one. Yeah. I'm probably I'm probably more jealous, but I don't know. Who knows? It's Plenty of one, fish. So. Plenty of fish, Joe, don't worry. Let's oh, talk yeah. about let's talk about Power Bar himself then. Mark Andre Barrio, sixteen and six record. He is coming into this fight off beating Eric Anders in the opener of UFC two eighty nine. Uh, a two-fight winning streak, and uh, as well as the Anders win, he also has wins over Julian Marquez, as you referenced. Um, the Beverly Hills Ninja, Jordan Wright, was another one of his big wins. And I'm saying this one just because of his name, Dolce Lungriambula. So, 5-5 five and five so far in the UFC with one no contest. 10 KOs, one submission, only ever been stopped once in his career, which came 16 seconds against Chidi and Jakuani. Yeah. That fight's insane, though. Like, that's a... Uh, or Chidi, actually, let me rephrase. Chidi's had some insane fights, though. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a barrel of fun, too. Now, Barrio was somebody who, in my opinion, he got a lot of criticism very early on in his UFC run because I think a lot of people did see him as a bit of a wall installer, a bit of a, a workhorse fighter rather mm. than somebody who's actively going to go for finishes. And people just thought, well, yeah, just keep this guy on the apex prelims. He's... He'll do a decent job, but I'm not really invested in seeing him. There has Val been, a Venus, so to say. There so has been, steady a, yep. There has been a definite upturn, though, in what he's doing with his hands. He's starting to utilize his power a lot more. That that sort of grindy style is still there, but I'm no longer going into a barrio fight thinking this is going to be a slog. Yeah, because uh, he he never holly homed you like he kind of would. But he was he was attacking in the clinch. Um, it was like Usman, Usman yeah, before the title. Yeah, Usman pre-title is a good one. It also reminds me of like a less effective and Randy Couture, like yeah. you know, dirty boxing kind of kind of grind, um, which I love. Me a good dirty boxing beat him up, but he just like he was just like really hitting hitting really hard in the clinch, but not hitting where he needs to, if that makes sense. Like his placements of shots. And now he's kind of figured it out. And now he understands that, hey, if I catch you at all, if I just touch you, you're wobbled. And I think that's like that confidence has like really helped him out a ton. And I I think he's, I think, yeah, I think you said it best when you said um, you're no longer seeing this fight going up. Here comes a slog. Like, no, it's usually going to be pretty fun because he's just a tank of a man, it feels like, and uh, hits. I have it down. He's a brute. Yeah. And his cardio keeps up throughout the fight. That's the reason they call him Power Bar, because as the fight goes longer, he gets stronger. Oh, yeah. Scary guy. Scary guy. And that's what makes this matchup so exciting is he has that really good cardio, Chris Curtis loves to attack the body, but when you're attacking the body, your head's a little open. So does that mean Barrio lands a power shot? Like, there's just so many little questions here, and, I think, that make this very interesting. And Barrio's striking is very... Um, it's coming output. along. Yeah, I think it's output-based, yeah. which again mm-hmm. plays into Curtis. Yeah. 
Chris Curtis loves these fights against these less technical guys. Like, you know, he loves the high volume but not a ton of technique on guys so he can just kind of smash them. That said, this guy's this guy's a little different now, you know. Uh, it's gonna be this fight. It's just so. It, this fight almost feels like coin toss. What, what were the odds again? Was it Chris Curtis favored? Uh, Curtis's favored is minus one seventy. Okay. Yeah, this feels almost like a coin flip to me. Um, I know what I'm going with. Uh, I'm personally picking Curtis to win. Uh, I think, though, if he doesn't finish him in the first two rounds he's in for a horrendous third round unless that body those body shots just add up yeah. if, if he's successful in the body shots you might be able to level the playing field if not keep that momentum in the third round but it's very interesting because i always like seeing how body shots affect the guy with a great gas tank yeah. you know uh like um even though i'm a fan of his for doom needing the body and a kicking the body of kane on top of the high altitude, led to Verdum winning that fight. Yeah. Um, I'm leaning towards. I'm leaning towards Curtis as well. I'm yeah. not confident enough to say definitely get your money on Chris Curtis to win. Yeah. Um, I think he's got the better striking between the two. I think he has a few more weapons in the stand up. Where I do have a concern though is I can see Barrio being the bigger man because we have got to remember Chris Curtis was a 170 er Mm. Um, he could just very easily just sort of like wall install, use some dirty boxing, throw some knees in there. And as we saw with the Jack and Manson fight, Chris Curtis does get very frustrated if fights don't go his way. And it could lead to him getting a little bit more reckless and getting wound up. So I think if Barrio does make this a clinch-heavy battle, it could easily turn into a 30-27. Yeah, if not a late finish because he got too reckless and gets caught. Yes. You know? Um that's that's something I fear because I've been talking about how interesting this fight is, you know, and it's like I'm really excited. I'm genuinely really excited for this fight. But Barrio has the potential to Holly Holm it. I and love how Holly Holm has become a, a verb. I want to hear it on other channels. I want to see how deep my influence can can go because I see people talking about it in the comments and that warms my heart. That means I've done something positive is I've introduced a word a phrase into the vocabulary but... i tried my hardest with bart simpson striking but um wine mom boxing seemed to take um get more favored i i listen I, in fairness on I, once again on a retro review i used both of them so the wine mom boxing the bart simpson style i won't say who it was but yeah. let's just say <laughs> let's just say his name rhymes with cake neils uh, that's horrible. It's a horrible joke. Uh, <laughs> well, you come to the right place. You have seen 297 preview show. Like, if you want really bad humor, actually, you know that Jim Davidson, John Virgo comparison I was going to make, it does fit just with how bad the humor is. I, I, I like to view comedy as as long as I'm laughing, I'm okay with it. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> anyways shall um, we move to the next fight yes I would love to yes we're going down to the welterweight division for this one and we have got Neil Magny who is going to be taking on Mike Malott now the bookmakers odds for this one are fairly one sided Mike Malott comes in at a minus 250 favourite you can get Neil Magny a plus 205 
Uh, Neil Magny, as he has done pretty much since for the past decade, it seems, is once again serving as the welterweight gatekeeper. Now, we've talked recently about the sort of decline of Canadian MMA. Like, a lot of people thought that with GSP being so successful, there was going to be this influx of new talent who were going to sort of take over the UFC. Mm-hmm. That hasn't panned out. Is Mike Malott the real deal or the best of a bad bunch? I, I think he's the real deal, but I, I wonder where his ceiling is. I'm really curious because I think of these like prospects at 170. You have, I think you have the big three prospects at 170. You have, you know, obviously the king, Shavkat, who probably I think winning a title this year. I, I I'm not picking against him ever. Like so high on that bandwagon. Um, but then you have Ian Machado Gary, who he's he's good. Um, and I think Mike Malott, and I think Mike Malott's in that. I think he deserves to be in those three. And I actually maybe it's because I'm an Ian Gary hater, and it just is bias because he's really cringy to me. But uh, he just tries too hard. It comes across very uh, Connor esque. Yeah, like he's like a like Colby Covington really wanted to be heel Kurt Angle to me, and it kind of threw me off. To, uh, uh, Kamara Usman always come across as like trying really hard to be cool and awesome, and um, Ian Gary comes across as like I'm Irish, so I should be just like Connor. Like, and it kind of hits me that same way of like, oh, you're just copying Kurt, you're just copying Connor. It's awkward, but. So I'm not an Ian Gary guy, but um, that said, I think Mike Malott probably has a higher ceiling. I don't know how high, like, obviously it's really hard to compare a guy to GSP, but I think a more fair and fun comparison could be Rory McDonald. Like, in terms of maybe where is it, hopefully where his ceiling is, because I, I don't want to say anyone's ceiling's near GSP, because that's <laughs> the greatest ever. That's just, he's just the greatest fighter of all time. Because um, I was thinking about this, you know, we did a video like years ago about the five mm-hmm. greatest Canadians and I'm tempted to say it was, it's been a long time since I watched it. It was either Newton, Hominick or Corte who I had in number three. I think you had Newton. Yeah, I think it was Newton. Because he was a ch- UFC champion. Yes. Yeah, because I always think of the big three and that's in, in Newton. You know, the, the the two aforementioned of, like, Rory, GSP, and then Carlos Newton. Yeah. Any any love for Kaufman and Davis? Oh, Kaufman. Sarah Kaufman is love. incredibly yeah. underrated. I totally forgot. Sarah, I, Alexa Davis is an honorable mention. If not, five, maybe? I think you can argue five, but maybe at least honorable mention. But Sarah Kaufman's four, no question, actually, over Cote and Hominick. And I'm a Mark Hominick fan. Um, but yeah, Kaufman for sure. Uh, she was so good. One of the best slam KOs this side of post post pride rampage that that one might be my second favorite, like ever. Okay. Like over, uh, over Roxy, you know? So what is it in particular that's making you so high on Mike Malott? His walkout song. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> It is great. He comes out to some 41. 
um, fat lip, which is uh, when you know, because remember, I saw I first I I was I researched him for the preview show we did when they last went to Canada, and we were both making fun of the fact that Dana White was like, and if you don't know now, you know, like he's doing us a favor, yeah, yeah. like you're doing us a favor by putting it together a, a non consequential fight on the main card. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, um, when he, when that song came on, I was pumped and he looked outstanding. He looked five levels ahead of his competition, which it could just be because he's Canadian. It reminded me a lot of like Rory and GSP, how there was times when they would fight guys and you go, you're not even in the same ballpark. This is, this isn't even close. And he got, he got in there, got a quick submission he looked great on the feet. He looked great on the ground. And then you kind of, and then when you're researching him, you go, dude, this guy can kind of do a little bit of everything. You know, he doesn't seem like he has a base in anything, at least from like just watching him. Um, he's definitely a better grappler than he is a striker. But man, this guy can kind of just do it all, which I think in the landscape of 170, where you have a lot of specialists, that's a big plus. You know, being able to take away the specialist's like way of fighting you and put him somewhere they're not too comfortable with. Like that's one reason why Shavkat's so successful is he'll strike with the grapplers and he'll grapple with the strikers. And a 170, like what we mentioned earlier, there is no like the striker grappler. Like everyone's at least good in everything, but 170 feels like specialist central. You know, you have Jeff Neal, Southpaw power puncher. That's his specialty. And uh, uh, Vicente Luque, like he he can darts choke you, but his boxing and striking is just unbelievable. Then, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Gabriel or not Gabriel Burns? Gilbert Burns. I almost said Gabriel. I don't know why, but um, Gilbert Burns, super high jujitsu, but he has the power. But Shavkat's just kind of saying, but "Where are you really good at? I'm going to fight you here. Um, I mean, I'm going to fight you the other way." And I think that's. I always really like that in prospects coming up. And of course, Colby's specialty, which is just circling on the outside, not doing anything. Yeah, but having a sick walkout song. Hold on, I'm seeing a connection here. No, I do love his walkout song, even if he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Um, the one concern I do have when it comes to Mike Malott, like I'm similar to you. I think there is mm. upside. There is, a, and I'm not sure where the ceiling is. Yeah. I, I could see him sort of like being sort of like number nine, number ten, that sort of um, sort of space. Uh, but ten wins, ten submissions. My one concern though is if you look at the fighters he's beaten so far in the UFC, we talk about Adam Fujit, uh, Johan Linares, Mickey Gall. It's a big jump to go from those guys, and no offense to them because they could easily kick my ass in. It's a big <laughs> jump to go from Adam Fugit to Neil Magny. Yeah, that is fair. Yep. A uh, couple of things that stand out for me when it comes to uh, Mike Malott. Um, I think he's very good at capitalizing when he has his opponents vulnerable. Because yes. the thing that really stood out for me was um, when he fought Adam Fugit. He rocked him with that mm. punch in the second round. And then almost immediately, being the alpha male guy, jumps on the guillotine. And that's, yeah. a, that's a real skill to sort of like say, I've got you hurt. I'm going to lock that in. Because mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of fighters that they just lose all the composure when they have someone hurt. Like Civil Guard, for example. Like for all the praise that we give Civil Guard for his striking, when he has someone hurt, 
He just goes into berserker mode. He was hammer fisting the back of Spivak's head. Like, because he just kind of, like, doesn't, I don't, it's so weird. Yeah. Um, I think he's got good boxing off the back foot as well, but I think mainly mm. it's his grappling, which is his forte. Yeah. Um, which is going to be interesting when it comes to Neil Magny, because we say this pretty much every time when it comes to Neil Magny. If you want the fight to go to ground, he's okay with that. If you want to keep it standing, he's okay with that. Yeah. Like, no he... strengths, no weaknesses to a fault. He, his skill is literally just this, you know? And that's he's what just... makes him such a good gatekeeper. Yeah, he's the perfect one. He, like, I gotta be honest. He almost has, like, I, I, I think you and me are both in agreement that the Hall of Fame should be much stricter. But if they're going to be loose with it, like they have been, then Neil Magny's earned it, like, as far as I'm concerned. Because he is the greatest gatekeeper ever, I think. Because him and pre-championship Bisping, I think, gotta be the best ever. Yeah. I, like, you want a guy who can just, you know, he can test every area of a guy. Yeah. I, I've got, like, a sort of, like, gatekeeping Hall of Fame. It, like, I, I actually did a video of it years ago of, like, the UFC's greatest ever, ga- MMA's yeah. greatest gatekeepers. And I think it was, like, Cowboy, Magny, um, Gary Goodridge, um, Rocky, and Tisha. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think there was somebody else who I had in there obviously Bisping as well but Bisping mm. does he kind of qualify with him being a champion now see Arlovsky is another one I would want to say but he's been champion before yeah and now and now he's just undercard gatekeeper like that's not fair um because I've actually got a list here like I always make a note of some of the notable wins on a fighter's record but with mm-hmm. Magni I've also got a list of his notable losses so these are some mm-hmm. of the guys who've beaten him in his career Ian Gary Gilbert Burns Shafkart Kiesa, Ponzinibbio, Dos Anjos, Lorenz Larkin, Damian Meyer. Yeah. Only all the best guys... fighters beat Neil Magny. Yeah. If you beat him, no matter at, at this era, previous era, anything, that's a feather in the cap for sure. Because if like, what's it called? Um, like the only guy there that didn't really break through to that next level. And that's not his fault. I think personally is Larkin. I thought Larkin had all the potential in the world. And that was also really early in Magny's career, if I remember correctly. But Lorenz Larkin, that's a a boy stable guy. Very much so. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He was so great. Um, Were you concerned at all by Neil Magny's performance against Ian Gary? Because you can look at it two ways. Like Ian Gary putting on this striking showcase. But I did kind of feel that was the first time that Neil Magny started to look a little bit old. Yeah, he looked old. I thought, I, I think, like, there's that, everyone loves that stupid thing of uh, him flipping off uh, Neil Magny as they're walking back to his corner. But at the same time, you go, Dude, Neil Magny's been fighting forever. He's got more mileage in the past two years than you have in your whole career. <laughs> like, you know, um, we talk about, we, we've, we've had the discussion of MMA age before. Like, Shogun says he's this old, but in reality, he's 80. Neil Magny might be a senior citizen too yeah. in terms of mileage and that that he look he did look old in his last fight and i think that's one reason why the odds are so you know skewed towards mike Malott. um but also at the same time neil magny hates getting low kicked yeah. like that is just great scouting because ponzinibbio let it rip on him for like three rounds before he face planted him 
So which way are you leaning towards this one here? Is this something that Neil Magny can pull out of his bag of tricks? Because the things you can always say about Neil Magny, um, great jab, a great overhand right, he can work outwork you in the clinch, and he's got fantastic cardio. Mm -hmm. He's got an underrated uppercut too. He was throwing that uppercut a lot against Jeff Neal, yeah. another name he's beaten. Um, and uh, he would uppercut inside to get the clinch, which was super impressive to me. That said, picking Mike Malott by submission, I think Mike Malott is, I think he's really good. Um, I also kind of root for him because it's got to be kind of cool living living his life if you think about it. Like living, if you're Mike Malott, you're like, you got, like he's an average sized guy in terms of height, but he trains a team alpha male. He probably feels like Stefan Struve <laughs> walking in there. Yeah, he probably feels like, he, he's got to feel like Stefan Struve walking in there, you know. Like Stefan Struve at a, <laughs> um, at like the horse races meeting the jockeys. It's probably what it feels like. Have you, you know? have you ever seen that picture of Struve and Mighty Mouse together? It's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, this I was clean I... shave and DJ as well, so he looks about ten. Yeah, there's a there's a picture of me somewhere. I'm I'm sure I can find it. Maybe it, like it's in like my dad's like like photo albums that he had. But there's a, a picture of me in high school meeting Kevin Durant, who's a basketball player. He used to play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So they used to say Kevin Durant was like, oh, he's 6'8", or whatever. No, he was seven foot this whole time. I don't know why they lie about heights in NBA, but they do. Kevin Durant was seven foot, and it was terrifying uh, when he, like, high-fived me because I was only 5'4 in high school. Like, I'm an inch taller than I was then. <laughs> and it's just, hey. <laughs> I imagine it probably feels like that. Mike Malott is – he's probably living like a king in alpha male. He's probably hiding – like, oh my god. He's probably hiding like cookies and biscuits in like their room at the highest shelf. <laughs> it's just, just so Uriah and like Joey B are like, hey, Mike, can you get that for me? Yeah, I can get that for you. Yeah, I can. And then he walks off and just leaves them. Like, oh, dude, he's got to have the best life. I was surprised to find that he used to fight a featherweight. Yeah, because he actually looked kind of big when he got in there against Fuge was taller and seemed bigger, but he looked like a, a hefty, like a heftier dude, like at least solid, like solid muscle mass. That uh, that wow. Uh, he like had he, his only loss was Akeem Dawadu in the World Series of Fighting. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, Akeem's fun. He is a fun guy too. I'm surprised he's not on this card. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You never know. He could be like he's probably gonna be the successor in terms of gatekeeping. He'd probably be a top tenner one day. He he's basically featherweight to Casey. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. You know? So, time for us to talk about our core main event. And Joe, is that the sound of Limp Biscuit I can hear? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yes, the women's 135 title is going to be on the line. It is Raquel Pennington who is going to be taking on Myra Bueno Silva. You can get Raquel Pennington at plus 140. Myra Bueno Silva comes in at its minus 170 favorite. So we're going to set the scene for people when it comes to this fight. You could make an argument, sir, to 2014-2015 that the women's bantamweight division was in a pretty good place. Rude health. Now, a lot of that would have been down to Ronda. A lot of that may have been like the novelty of women being in the UFC, still being fresh. But it felt like one of those weight classes where I think a lot of everyday fans always kept a curious eye out for. They were, they were intrigued to see what was going on. 
And it culminated UFC 193, Ronda vs Holly, 60,000 fans in Australia and over a million pay-per-view buys. What the hell went wrong? Um, I think a lot of people just changed the visions, a lot, honestly. I think what they did is, this is a theory I have, is they started snatching up names that were good and people who could make 135 that were good. And then as soon as other weight classes opened up, they left. Like you have people like Jessica Andrade, who has fought Rocky even. Um, and she's fought Rocky twice, actually, hasn't she? Uh, yes. Um, yeah. Andrade won the first fight. Rocky won the rematch. Yeah. You have her. Uh, and I, I think like a couple other names have just kind of moved divisions as soon as those they opened up. And I think another thing that happened is them adding 115 because when you add one when typically when you the higher up in weight class you go the worse the technique is and the finishing rate weirdly enough is about the same like statistically um like i think someone i think it was when flyweight first came to the ufc people were going oh it's boring who must have watched midgets fight and you know, I remember that whole like controversy with like fans not like getting into it. But someone did a, a like a statistic breakdown of it, and Flyweight had the highest finish rate. And he openly said it's because they don't have as much fights. That's one reason. But they do have the highest finishing rate in terms of, you know, even if it is a small sample size. Um, and I think 115. I think if you could now that we have like. I hate being this way, a good technical division to look at. It makes the other division look worse. And then you also kind of put, I think, all their stock into Ronda. And Holly Holm got the Ronda rub for beating her. Misha Tate got the rub for, you know, um, having the, that great series. The first two matches are fantastic. The second one especially is a very good fight. And... Then Misha beats Holly Holm. Misha has the, you know, has the crown, and that's a known name because she had the Ronda rub. Then here comes Amanda Nunes, smashes her, and for some reason that Ronda rub just did not work on her. And I don't know if it's an issue of people being aware that Ronda wasn't going to show up at press conferences, or Ronda kind of, kind of turned some fans sour because of how she was when it came to losing uh, and they weren't even considering the option of like, this is someone who doesn't lose and now they're, they're on top of the world. And then they got knocked down so far that they're on the kitchen floor now. Like it, it's just kind of, it was a huge fall. You have to kind of give them some, you know, some leeway, I think, and how they handle it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it, I feel I feel like a I feel like it wasn't the best division in terms of technical aspects because uh, oh who was it you're you're gonna remember she fought Ronda in Brazil Betch yeah Betch Cohea that's who it was uh, Betch Cohea was throwing arm punches and was considered a power striker just punching like this so like it, you can say that there wasn't always the most technical division. But you didn't have really anything to compare it to, so it seemed like it was the greatest thing. 
Um, but I don't know. I feel like even then I'm grasping at straws. Like all this whole tight like rant, I guess you could say I've been on. And I, and I feel like I'm grasping at straws either, even. <laughs> and I'm probably going to get some blowback for this as well. I, I agree with you. I think that introducing straw weight and fly weight, because what that did, fly weight especially, it mm-hmm. took away Chev, Tyler Santos, Manon Firo, Aaron Blanchfield. Like those cool. could have been top level 135ers who chose to fight in their ideal weight class. Like if Flyweight yeah. hadn't been there, you would have got all those four names. I think Ronda, losing Ronda was a big ask because Ronda was the sort of glue that held that division together. Like for, yeah. rightly or wrongly, she was the one that people cared about. And once she went to pastures new, like just the air went out the balloon. Mm-hmm. And the third one as well, and I'm probably going to get some blowback for this, but people just weren't invested in units. Now, and that's not yeah. me being a hater. It's just... For whatever reason, the everyday fans, they just weren't bothered about watching her fight. Whether she was too dominant or not the biggest media personality. but And from the UFC's perspective, if you know this person's going to win and the fans aren't really getting behind her, you're not going to spend the time and the money to sign new talent to sort of push the weight class over something like featherweight or bantamweight. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. And of course, it leads to this situation we have right now. We have a vacant title, two women who, while I think they deserve it based on merit, aren't the biggest household names. And outside of like the true hardcore fans, like the Drake Riggses of the world, nobody is talking about this fight. People are mocking this fight for how bad they think it's going to be. Yeah. And I think that's really sad given what it once was. It's... It's been a steady decline. I think a lot of it is like I think I think putting all your promotion into one person is always a bad idea because, yeah, you know, some because you get the rub like Holly got the rub and Misha had the rub already. But it's really hard to recreate that magic again. I think the Nunez Ronda fight is, you know, I think that's case in point right there is people didn't gravitate towards you know the rep didn't work there I, I think an example would be like you know i hate going to this for the third time but um in wrestling let's say cody rhodes is gonna finish his story and he does it by you know like roman reigns retires today and he finishes his story against vacant you know like it isn't gonna have the same oomph you know like as he probably should have won it last year he it it just kind of dilutes the product and dilutes the the fan reception to it and i wonder if that's why it it didn't work out for nunez but i think nunez the facts that people didn't care about her i think definitely played in like not there are people that cared about her don't get me wrong like i was a nunez fan my friend in there big Nunez fan, so we, we were around, it just it wasn't a lot of us. I'd rephrase that, in that it wasn't so much that people didn't care. I don't mm. think they cared enough to go out of their way to watch her fight. For $85, yeah. with no card behind yeah. her. You Honestly, have her, yeah, that's the best way. Have her as a core man, or put her as like a TV main event, I don't think anyone has a problem. Yeah, it's Shevchenko. Shevchenko yeah. isn't a box office draw. Fans love her for the worst reasons. I wasn't a dig at her. But they've used Chev in the right way. 
Yeah, because a lot of people are Chev fans and not our fans. Like we have, you know, we have fans that are Chev fans, and I feel like personally they like her for the right reasons. But there are people who like her just because they find her attractive. And she always reminded me of Angela from The Office. I know. Yeah, you say that, and I'm not. I'm not an Office guy, but I every time you show me like the pictures, I go, that, that's the same person. Listen, what is that Office meme? There's the same picture. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, it's the same picture. But people find her attractive, and I think. But she's not a box office draw, you know. Like the biggest thing box office wise she's done was I hate being this guy because it makes it sound like I'm biased, but was her getting choked out by Grasso? That was the biggest story she's had, you know, and how she took the loss. Like those were the biggest stories she'd come out of her. I remember she headlined um, the. Um chicago card against holly and that did pretty good tv numbers yeah but a lot did. of that was holly exactly yeah, yeah. holly because that was that was pre holly home and holly home if that makes sense yeah. holly you still know, had a little bad. bit of aura about her yeah she was still like kicking and punching she wasn't or she was still keying which i hate Ugh, i hate i hate that more than the wall install admittingly uh caitlin chukagian don't fight on my cards please because she kiaws too and it just it's like it's mental nails on chalkboard for me, but um, I I feel bad for these ladies because yeah. MBS uh, she's kind of unlikable, but she did choke out my uh, someone I always like watching lose in Holly Home. That was sweet. That was a that was huge, uh, and and Rocky, you just got a feel for her, you know. Like I feel so bad after post. Post motorcycle accident, she gets a title shot, and what happens? She gets kicked in that leg that got destroyed in that accident. You gotta feel bad for her. Yeah. So part of the reason why it's taken so long, in my opinion, for this fight to come about was because I get the feeling they were always aiming for Juliana to be part of that fight, mm -hmm. and once it became clear that Julie's hand injury was worse than we thought, um. They shifted towards Myra, but of course Myra got popped by USADA because of the, um, what was it? It was, um... It wasn't a roid, it was like Adderall, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Adderall, that's it. I was, I was going to yeah. say Ritalin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ritalin's like, that's uh, ADHD, but I think hers was Adderall, so she was on. Here's the question I do have, though. Let's assume everybody was free, and it was Julie, Rocky, or Myra. Who do you think the UFC goes for in that fight? Because whatever combination you make, there's an upside to it. Yeah. Who do you think? Who do you think would have, the UFC would have gone for? UFC would have done Rocky Pena. I think. I, I. That's not what I would do. I would do what we have because I think again, you and me are pro merit, yes. not pro box office. Um, but for the box office, which is what the UFC cares about, they care about that green. They're gonna do. Rocky Pena, and I mean, in fairness, we—that was one of the most hype potential fights ever, and it still could be. Could still be. Like <laughs> selfishly, I'm rooting for Rocky just so I can fire up that uh, Limp Biscuit promo again. Yeah, WrestleMania 17. Oh, you think you're special? It's so awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about the Kel Pennington in a bit more detail here. A 15 and 8 record. Now, this is going to be her first fight for 12 months. She beat Ketlin Vieira on the 1st uh, January card of 2023. 
Um, mm. She was scheduled to fight Aldana. Of course, Aldana getting moved into the main event meant that she served as the backup for the title fight. And nothing has come about since then. I think obviously because she has been in contention for potentially getting this title fight. So her gap between fights is a little bit longer than people think. But she has a lot of notable wins. Uh, Ketlin Vieira, as we mentioned before, but she also has wins over Aspen Ladd, Macy Chasson, Pani Kianzad, um, Irene Aldana when they fought back in, I think, 2019, Misha Tate, Betch Kohera, and Jessica Andrade. So I think there's a lot of people who, because of Raquel Pennington's style, don't appreciate how good she actually is. Like, that is a good portfolio of wins there. Great record. Like, you look at her the numbers of the record, and it's 15 and 8. Sure, someone can critique that. But look at that 8, you though. Look at that 8. That yeah. 8, like, I spotted this. Outside of her first career loss, which I think was, like, her second fight, everyone yeah. who's beaten Rocky has either fought for or won a title in a major promotion. Yep. And she has some just fantastic wins. Like, she's on a five-fight win streak. You know, that says something. But yeah, I have Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandamy, um, Amanda Nunes. Oh, Holly Holm twice. I forgot they fought. Once yeah, we like to choose to forget the second fight. It was god-awful. <laughs> oh, I remember that fight because I, I bought that card. I wasn't on the channel, so I, you know, like it was way back in the day. I think it was like early 2020, and it was just an abysmal card. But um, Jessica Andrade, Leslie Smith, who's a blast and a half, Kat Zingano, who was awesome, you know, for a long time. Like, these are big names. And then almost everyone else on this record is a name. Like, that's got to mean something. She, the I think the only reason people don't care about her is, or that's not fair. The only reason people aren't fans of hers is because she's kind of a, a blue-collar yes. fighter. Yeah, she's a workhorse. She's she's not gonna get in there and put you out, you know. And under two rounds, she's she's gonna get in there. She's gonna make it grindy. She's gonna make it, you know, a little awkward. But she's probably gonna win. And um, and it was Ritalin, by the way. It just showed it up here. Yeah, but uh, it was Ritalin, not Adderall for MBS. But yeah, it uh. Because I, I pulled up her losses because I was like, I was like, who are the eight? Because I remember like four of them, but not all of them. But um, and Rocky actually, in fairness to her, in terms of entertainment, she has probably it's it's definitely not number one anymore. But at one point was the best women's fight I had ever seen, which was her and uh, Jessamine Ooh. Duke on Tough. Whoa. That fight is cr- – I don't think that season of Tough is too good. It's okay. But wow, is that fight insane. That fight is nuts. Yeah. And uh, uh, that fight's fantastic. But um, yeah, I think – I, you know, I feel, I feel really bad for her because she's very likable. She's She can talk. She's well-spoken. She knows how to talk and she's you know, comes across as very likable there too. Um, her style just doesn't lend to fans. And as we've said with Avloyev, Bale Muhammad, and, you know, the great GSP in the past, we've talked about him in the past, that's okay. Like, I'm, I'm totally okay with it, you know? 
what do you what do you think is Rocky's biggest strength? Because for me, I think there's two areas in particular where she does shine. I think her boxing combinations are especially good because a lot of fighters, and dare I say, unfortunately, especially in women's MMA, they do tend to headhunt a little bit. I think Rocky yeah. is more capable of mixing it, like going to the body and then coming up on top. And we saw her, like the one that comes to mind for me, she pieced up Adam Aspen Lad when he got to the stand-up. Dare I say, I think she was doing the same thing when she fought Aldana. Like, go watch the first round of that yeah. Aldana fight. Rocky had a lot of success against somebody who was expected to shine in that field. She pieced up Misha yeah. Tate, too. And then yeah. we sort of brought this up again. Like, a lot of people like to try and criticize Rocky because she does like to go into the clinch, press people up against the fence. But I think she's quite active there. She's not holding She's not. You. She's active. She's throwing knees. Yeah. She's throwing uppercuts. She's using that sort of... Randy Couture style of dirty boxing. She'll get an underhook. She'll go like over underhook. So she'll have an underhook on like the right side. I, I remember this from the Misha Tate fight. And she'll use it to kind of like lift lift you up and tilt you. And then she's kneeing you. She's trying to knee you in the head. Or she's using her free hand to punch at you while maintaining control. So it isn't like she's double underhooking and just laying there. She's going for an over underhook so she can have a free hand to hit you. And I think that is a a great way to say like she's active. Yeah. You know, I, I always think of I, I'm gonna I I'll say those are the two things that stand out for me. The number one thing is her offensive clinch work. I really like that. I like I I don't everyone thinks because I make Holly homing a verb <laughs> and <laughs> that I hate clinch work. I don't. I hate wall install because there's nothing happening. It's effective, sure, and I'm not gonna. I'm going to make fun of you, but I'm not going to like legitimately rag on somebody like disrespectfully uh, if you do it, except Holly Holm. I'm kidding. But <laughs> um, I, I always really respect these active clinchers because it, it helps, at least for me, it helps me show people, hey, see how they're doing stuff there? Yeah, you didn't see that in the Holly Holm fight. This is, this is, not what, what, this is the clinching that's cool. You it's know, because you. you know, it's think, because you did a retro review on this. The one that comes to mind for me is Mighty Mouse versus Dodson. The work he did in the clinch. Yeah. That is one of the best ever. And another one is uh, that I've also done in the retro review series is Randy Couture and Tim Sylvia beats him up in the clinch when they clinch up. And then you have the Gonzaga fight, which I haven't covered. I'm sure I will one day, because um, that's a big card, um, big title fight at least, and. Gonzaga is getting decimated in the clinch by a guy much smaller than him and just getting like gets his nose broken in like one of the worst breaks ever. And I so I love uh, dirty. I'm, I'm a Randy Couture fan, so I have to love clinching. It's not just just because I say Holly Homie. Um, but I so I, I like her work in the clinch. I think it's and I think she's tough. Mm. She is tough as nails. And physically tough and mentally tough. I know people might bring up the Nunes fight, but you have to remember she rebroke her leg that she broke in the motorcycle accident from the low yeah. kicks. Like, and this was her first fight back since that break, I believe. And she was like, "You got to call this fight." And that's that's a bad corner. If it, that's not on her. We should normalize corner stoppages. That's not on her. That's not on her being weak or anything, any macho kind of mentality. That's on the corner. Like, and that, 
in and the... that injury completely impacted how she was trying to fight because if you see if you watch Raquel Pennington fight she does like to come forward a lot and mm-hmm. in that fight she was just having to back up because she just couldn't put any weight forward on that leg and oh yeah, yeah look one sided fight I'm not going to try and argue that Raquel would have won that fight or anything but yeah you you can't read up on that story and think that was the best version of herself no I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I 100% agree with you when I say that uh, that wasn't the best version of her she got re-injured pretty early in the fight she was coming off of an injury um, that got re-injured that had to be a traumatic experience so that definitely messes with your head and while I think the fight would have been a dominant win for Nunes I don't think she would have I think she would have been a little bit more competitive at least yeah. Um, because, you know, Nunes doesn't necessarily like pressure and Penny Rocky's a much better striker than wine mom, you know, Juliana Pena. I mean, so you never know. So let's talk about Myra Bueno Silva. There is two sides to this story here. So a 10 and two record and also has the one draw as well. Now the last fight was a no contest against Holly in that June fight. Um, so mm. notable wins outside of the Holly fight. Now this is interesting to me. I think if you would compare Rocky's portfolio to Myra's, I think Myra has the bigger individual win in the form of Holly, who of course Rocky failed to beat twice. But outside yeah. of that, Lena Landsberg, Stephanie Egger, Wu Yanan, Marva 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 Romero Barella managed to get that one out there. Yeah. Like, honestly, I would make the argument her second best win is Gillian Robertson. Is this somebody who is genuinely coming on, or is this somebody who's in the right place at the right time? I think it's a mix of both. I think she's good. I think she's definitely good. But, um, you know, it wasn't like she was dominating that Holly Holm fight. She just kind of, she just kind of survived against that terrible wall install and then holly ducked her head down and then just she got snatched up you know that happens and that's a fantastic win she beat someone that has people respect her in the division and for the hardcore fans she beat someone that we love to see lose because we hate watching her fight (laughs) but um and that 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 really boosted her stock just up i think yeah outside of the holly home fight it's got to be Jillian Robertson. Do you know what's the ironic um, thing with this fight? Is that this is the type of fight that they would have given Raquel Pennington. Like, let's say two or three years ago, Raquel Pennington yeah. versus Myra Bueno Silva is happening when Rocky's at, like, number five or number six in the division and Myra's top ten. But just the circumstances of the weight class, this one's happening for the belt. It's kind of crazy when you think. That's a good point. This is 110% a fight Rocky would have had on some prelim or a fight. Apex prelim. Yeah. Oh, sadly. Yeah. Because that's when, like, they showed the Macy Chasson fight. So you know how they always, like, show a fight to try and sell, like, the title matches Mm -hmm. coming up. And that fight was, like, I think it was, like, the third fight on the Apex prelim. I'm tempted to say Harry Hunsucker versus Justin Taffer got a higher billing. It was. Than Raquel Pennington versus Macy Chasson. I remember that card. She, yeah, it did. Harry Hunsucker. He's in our Hall of Fame on the previous show, though. He is? So <laughs> we, we did. did yeah. I think one of the best jobs we ever did was trying to sell Harry Hunsucker 
and some of the positives that he had going into that fight. Yeah, him and Parker Porter. Like, we, I'm, I'm not saying that we did, a, we deserve awards like uh, Morning Combat, but <laughs> I, you know, I'm just saying I don't remember Luke and Brian talking about talking up a uh, Parker Porter. Yeah. <laughs> like like we did but anyways uh yeah that's that's a crazy one isn't that the fight that also broke macy's streak yeah macy was on no i think macy was alternating wins and losses oh because remember she had like she was super hot for a while she had that good win against renault and i think they booked yeah. a rocky fight afterwards i think so because i remember thinking when i saw her on tough i remember going oh this chick's killing everybody isn't she like and she's dropping down in weight. Good, yeah. This is this chick's gonna kill everyone, because she was so impressive. Like that happens on tough sometimes, where uh, someone is just clearly a couple levels above the rest, and it's like, oh, you're winning, huh? Aren't you? Yeah. Okay. Dominated Pacheco, and we've yeah. seen what Larissa Pacheco can do in the PFL. Oh yeah, it's she's she's a, she's good. I, I'm a she's in the gal stable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. What are the big attributes you've seen of Myra Bueno Silva? What is she doing to find this sort of success at 135? Um, for me, she she's a finisher on the ground. I think her being a finisher definitely helps out too when it, when it comes to – because the finishing rate – and uh, I'm not trying to make any statements or weird – like I don't want anyone trying to twist my words here. But the finishing rate in men's to women's MMA, men's – naturally has a much higher finishing rate um but she is a finisher like she isn't an amanda nunez where she's KOing or submitting everybody uh at least most people but she has what like she armbarred gillian robertson she choked out uh, i think she submitted lena landsberg with that uh, i think it was a leg lock oh that's even more impressive yeah leg locks don't really happen in women's mma um and the reason for that i think is i've that i've heard is because uh, jujitsu practitioners don't feel comfortable teaching dangerous leg locks to women, which is, I hope that's not true because that is horrible to me. But um, that's super impressive. She got a leg lock though, um, and uh, obviously she ninja choked um, Holly Holm. So she can if she, if she snatches a limb or a neck, she's gonna get it, and she does hit hard. She technically has some power and she's aggressive. I think. Those are things that are kind of interesting because I think they're going to just meet in the middle in this fight. And then from there, we see what happens. Because a lot of people forget you know? that the how she set up the ninja chalk was it was very early stages of the second round. And she yeah. catches Holly with this quite a good punch as Holly's sort of like circling to the back. And that forces Holly yeah. to think, oh, I just need to get into my comfort zone here just to recover. And as she dives for the double legs, then comes the ninja chalk. Yeah, yeah, just... Sanchez so that does make me a little bit concerned for Rocky, given how comfortable Rocky likes to be in the clinch. The difference being, I think Rocky uses a lot of sort of trips and throws rather than going for the legs. So I don't think that opportunity yeah. is going to be there if Rocky does want to take it to the ground. But I don't think Rocky's going to want to. I think she knows the mm. threat that Myra could play. And I think if Rocky's going to win this fight, it's going to be in two places. She's going to need to be controlling the clinch firing in those knees, throwing in that dirty boxing, or just keeping it in the open. Myra, meanwhile, mm -hmm. is going to be putting on a lot of pressure, and it could very well be a situation, in my opinion, of who breaks first. Is Rocky going yeah. to handle that early pressure 
Or is she going to wilt and Myra get this fight to the ground and get subbed? Or can Rocky survive the onslaught, which we've seen how mentally tough she's been in the past, how physically tough she is. Mm. I have a lot of concerns. For me, one of the big factors is this. Someone pointed this out. Outside of a UFC debut, Myra Bueno Silva has fought her entire career without a crowd. Bearing in mind how hard she goes early, and bearing in mind that crowd hyping her up. The best crowd, you could say, honestly. Could Myra adrenaline dump? You brought that up to me this week, and I was already kind of thinking about that. When my research, I remember going, there's no crowd here. And then when you brought that up, I was like, oh. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think Rocky has a, a a draining kind of style as well that plays into it. You know, being clinched up against the cage and getting kneed and punched and nearly taken down over and over is exhausting. Like lactic acid building up, all this, and you're being hyped up by what I think is the best crowd in MMA. No, no, no disrespect to the UK crowd because. I mean, I've seen like bad, like a, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, I think it was Aspinall Curtis Blades wasn't a very good card, but the Volkov one was, um, their crowd, y'all's crowd is insane in the UK. They are fantastic, uh, like, you know, fantastic fans there, but Canada has the best, I think still. And I think that can play into it. I think she's going to. I think she wins early rounds, and then I think Rocky just starts, just stays in there, doesn't go away. I think that's just draining. So I think the adrenaline dump plus Rocky's very grinding, that's the word I was looking for, very grinding, cardio-heavy style, just cardio draining, is just going to propel her to probably one of your favorite moments in MMA history but also one of the saddest, because trust me, I know. It's a very sad feeling when you have to move someone from your boys' table because they've graduated. I did it with Alexa Grasso last year. I think it's your I think it's your turn to do it. Well, I certainly hope so from a, a biased perspective. I <laughs> I do have some concerns with the inactivity of Rocky, and if she is gonna win, she's gonna have to break the thirty-five curse. Oh, that's which true. Which I'm very nervous about. Um I'm personally leaning towards Myra winning uh, for those two reasons. Um, and I think if I was to put my business head on, I think Myra winning might be the better result for the weight class because she's a finisher. She's not tarred with the Nunes brush. So women's 135 can rebuild from like a fresh slate because yeah. you will get people saying, oh, Raquel's only champion because Nunes isn't there. Whereas you might not say that if Myra's <sighs> champion. Um, and also, she is a bigger personality. Whether that's a good personality or a bad one, that remains to be seen. I, I find it ironic that a lot of the things that people like about Myra are things people they dislike like about Julie. I think they're very similar personalities. But I will say this, and this will be sort of my, my final sort of monologue. And if I do come across a little bit biased, I apologize. Might get like, I don't know, like Elgar's... Like, no, uh, what's it called? Um, Gustav Holtz's Planets or something in the background of this bit. No. <laughs> I think there's a lot of fans who either don't know or choose not to know how good a fighter is. Because they've got a workhorse style, because they require personality, because they're 
not on a microphone, sort of screaming, I smash everyone all the time. I put Raquel Pennington in that bracket. Like, he was a fighter who has been in or around the top five pretty much since the Ronda era. She's got the second most wins in division history. But because of those things that I mentioned, people don't want to appreciate her. And sometimes you need, I feel you need that title to make people truly appreciate how good they are. Like Michael Bisming for me is the best example. And bearing in mind what Raquel Pennington has been through in her career, and bearing in mind that she's just always been this dogged worker who just never gave up, it would be good to see her get that belt in this final chapter of her career. I think that would be a lovely story. I I think so too. I think for the story, you got to be a Rocky on Rocky's side. What a moment this is going to be, for, at least in my opinion. I I I predict it is going to be that moment. But for business, yeah, you really you made a fantastic point there. They they kind of want MBS to win. They want Myra Bueno Silva to win because uh, here's something I thought about a comparison. Um, the when they had. Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira fight for the title after Habib left. The reason they picked those two was because neither one had lost to Habib, I think. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. So there is precedence for this. And it did rebuild lightweight after losing your dominant champion that was a star. So... I'm not saying Nunez is a star. I'm saying Habib was, but um, I think that's I think that's something the sad reality of it. But I, I I'm I'm a pro wrestling fan. I'm a film fan. I want the story. I want to have that moment. So I'm rooting I'm rooting for you to graduate her. Well, it yeah. remains to be seen. I'm going to be on ten hooks for that one. I have to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about our main event of the evening. The middleweight title is going to be on the line here. It is the champion, Sean Strickland. can't believe I'm going to be saying that. And he's going to be taking on Drickus Duplessis. Uh, Strickland comes in as a minus 130 favourite. You can get Duplessis at plus 110. So the closest odds on the entire card are going to be taking part in the main event. So I'm going to put this to you, Joe. If I asked you 12 months ago that Sean Strickland and Drickus Duplessis were going to be fighting for the middleweight title, would you have believed me? I would have been laughing. I would have been laughing, and I probably would have looked up uh, mental health care in uh, uh, in Newcastle. Been like, hey, I found some links. I think you need to look into. <laughs> um, that is that, I, when you when you said champion Sean Strickland, it just settled in for me. He's he's world champion, and he's fighting Drakus Duplessis. Would you would you say Strickland is the strangest champion? Is he is he the most unlikely champion? No, there's there's a stranger one. I think the most unlikely, maybe, but strangest champion ever is Benson Henderson. I've been thinking about him all week, and like you and me have talked in like side chats of like how weird Bendo's title run is. Like it's a weird one. When you think about it, like he argue, I think you can argue that he lost his title shot, and then I think for sure he lost his against the Frankie rematch. He beat Nate Diaz for sure, but then you go, okay, like, did you actually beat Gibbler? And then you lost to Anthony Pettis, and it's like, oh, it's so weird. Yeah. It's a weird run. I will swear the Nate fans will probably argue that Nate will not fight. 
Well, he did flip him <laughs> off, so that's got to be at least a 10-7 round for Nate. That is a crazy image, though, when like he's like nearly doing the splits in the X guard, and Nate like can't get like can't get control of the the ang- or the heel, and Nate just you know <laughs> I did it off camera so we don't get flagged, but <laughs> just flips him off. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's a Nate fan saying that like, well, bro, if there was no time limits, bro. Bro, should I tell you? you know. Should I tell you one of the things I quite like about this fight? Because this, it's very similar, in my opinion, to the core main event. In that, I think a lot of fans are somewhat clowning this match a bit. Yeah. But should I tell you what I'm? I'm much more positive about this, and I'll say why. I think the UFC have become increasingly obsessed with pushing fighters based for outside reasons. So either you've got a rivalry with a guy, you've been like running your mouth off on social media, you've got a flashy style, that sort of thing. I like the fact that we've got two guys here who, yes, are awkward. Yes, say and do strange things outside of the cage. But they've got this fight because they've earned it. Yes. This is a meritocracy fight. Because, like, I heard some people saying, well, what about Hamzat? And I said, well, hang on a minute. How many ranked middleweights has Hamzat Shemaev beaten? Zero. Yeah. How many, and here's the crazier statistic. How many middleweight goat contenders have these guys beaten? They both have one apiece, and in their most recent fights where they dominated. Like, Rob is a middleweight goat. I think he is. But you don't, you dismissed Anderson because of his steroid juice. Yes. Yes. We need to add that disclaimer. Uh, I, I dismiss Anderson because no, like if you pop hot, I have to question every fight. Every fight's a new contest once you pop hot for me. Um, and then Izzy, sadly, is a middleweight goat contender. And uh, they just both dominated them in their last fights. They killed off. They This division had, we talked about it earlier, this division had the same problem Featherweight had with Volkanovski and Max Holloway. And these two guys just dominated their own boogeyman in their division they've earned this the shot you know it's crazy to me i never in a million years i remember i i'm still embarrassed how how wrong i was uh when i was like rob wins however way he wants or like there's no chance and then i had to eat my words as i'm watching rob get leveled by dragus two plessis like weird like punches like that Someone said it, you know, like, you know how you have those, like, elongated boxing gloves with, like, the yeah the cross-checks? It's like that. That's how <laughs> Dricker's punches. Very, he's, he reminds you of a Rock'em Sock'em yes. robot. You know, like the little... You know? Uh, yeah, that's what he reminds me of. I heard someone describe it's... him as, as a Bailey buddy as well, like the inflatable chew, <laughs> chew men with the arms. Yeah, the Bailey buddies. I remember that. Oh, no. <laughs> he's, a, he's a weird fighter. I, he's a guy that's really hard to describe his style. Is he a striker or a grappler? I like to think of him as shoulder-based because he has the widest shoulders I've ever seen. He carries a ton of muscle. Yeah, he's a he's a huge guy. Uh, McMahon would like him. Vince McMahon would like him. Yeah, let's just say that if he doesn't, you know, oh, Vince is gone. I was going to say, if he this fight don't work out, there's a guy with a mustache you can call up, I'm sure. You know, there's, they're one company now, sadly. Yeah. So. Tell you what, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Vince tries to set up his own promotion, just out of spite. With Blackjack and... When hookers. Like, like a black... I didn't want to say that, but I was like, <laughs> I'll let you say that. 
<laughs> yeah, he's going to Futurama it. Well, Blackjack and Hookers uh, would go, given he looks like... He, he basically Clark Gable now. Very sort of like... Ah, uh, yeah, he does look like Clark, Clark Gable. Yeah. I, I'm a big nerd. I used to have it before uh, disc plates are pieces of crap. But um, I used to have uh, the Fallout New Vegas sign. I used to get a lot of love from it in the comments. But he looks like Mr. House in that game to me. I even have that meme of him. <laughs> but, yeah, this this is a weird fight. And I think it's a sleeper pick. I think this is the sleeper pick for fight of the night, though. Uh, this fight could be incredible. I hate to say it, I think so as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of intangibles awesome. about this fight where I'm genuinely struggling to call it. So we'll talk about Strickland first and foremost. 28-5 and five record. We actually did a full career retrospective on Sean Strickland, breaking down some of his background, which I significantly recommend that people check out. So outside of the Adesanya win, which is the big marquee victory he has, also has wins over Imarov, uh, Jack Manson, Uriah Hall, Brendan Allen, again, another win which has aged very well. and Finish too. What do you think has been the big X factor that has turned around Sean Strickland? Because I see a lot of people, you know, and I actually brought this up on one of the social media posts that I made. There's a lot of people that try and downplay him beating Izzy and just say, well, Izzy wasn't 100%. Even if that's true, you're doing the winner a real discredit by saying that. Yeah. Sean Strickland can only beat the guy in front of him, and that version of Adesanya, he dominated. Whichever version it was, yeah, it, he smoked it. it. I thought he was going to finish him. I remember, I remember uh, what's it called, watching it and just laughing. I felt like I laughed for 25 minutes because I never in my life thought that would have happened. It's one of the funniest things of last year. Dare I say my number two for fight of the year, even though that fight isn't very good. <laughs> um adesanya hater in case anyone's forgot I, i'm not an adesanya guy but uh yeah no i um i think if i were to point out everyone loves to talk about his philly shell and i think philly shells an mma i'm gonna say it controversial p opinion here because people have starting to say oh that's the way to do it in boxing and mma i think it's a stupid idea to philly shell in mma that said there's only one guy i can think of besides sean strickland who's made me go actually it's pretty smooth is um, Dustin Poirier. I still think he has the best Philly shell I've seen in MMA. Uh, but in MMA, the reason I think it's not the smartest play is is high kicks. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, you know, shoulder roll that. You know, I've only seen Tony do that. Like, and that was prime Tony, uh, pre pre two weight cuts and Gaethje Tony. Uh, I think I think kicking high is a a great way to stop guys like head movement. And I think it's also a great way to, to attack someone with a Philly shell. But I could be wrong. I've never kicked a Philly shell. So I personally don't know. I could just be totally crazy. But Dustin Boyer was like the guy for like the Philly shell. I was like, oh, only he can get away with it because he's just so good and smart that he knows how to make it work. Um, and now Sean Strickland used it to beat up like Adesanya. He defended everything Adesanya did and countered him. And walked him down. He defended low kicks really well. He doesn't really ever get hit. Like defensively, it's really hard to hit Sean Strickland. When you do hit him, he's got an okay chin. Like he survived some good shots from Cannoneer, who hits like a truck. But um, then there's also Alex Pajeda 
sending him flying across the octagon. He's the hardest hitter ever, pound for pound, though. Like, we've, like, talked about that. Like, he's probably the pound for pound hardest hitter ever in, in the sport. Maybe him and pride fully juiced up Vanderlei. I'd call Carwin. Oh, Carwin had it, too, yeah. Carwin, I think Krokop, if you only count his left kick, probably number one, actually. Because that's cemetery. You're not going to the hospital. That left leg cemetery. Um, but uh, I'd love to cut. I'd yeah. love to do UFC 116 for the retro review. Oh. <laughs> is that um? That's uh, the Brock Lesnar fight. The... Carwin, right? Yeah. And also has Akiyama yeah, has... versus Lieben. And Lieben, yeah, that was the, that was like going. That's what I was saying. Is that the? I was like, yeah, that that because that fight is unbelievable. Sexyama. 110% boy stable. I remember Bonner versus um, Christoph being quite good as Christoph's, well. That fight's awesome. It was c- crazy. It was, they were co-fights in the night because like one is clearly better than the other, but you have to give love to another fight that on any other card is fight of the night. I think that's so cool the UFC to spread the love money-wise, especially because everyone except Brock was probably making 20 bucks to be there. <laughs> um, but I, I'm... I gotta be honest, Sean Strickland. He's I like that he's so like blunt. He reminds me of people I know. Uh, some people don't like that. Some things he says are like, "Dude, what is wrong with you?" Like kind of thing. Like, "Oh God, like stop, stop talking, please." He's He's he comes across as that guy that let's say you go out to a bar or a pub with, and he talks louder than ever. And buys a beer, and he just kills any chance of you meeting a woman because of the things he says. And it's like, why do I bring you out? Like, it's kind of the vibe I kind of get from him. That said, his story, his rise to the title, and he's it's kind of he's kind of making me a fan. He start, I'm starting to kind of get behind him. I think the thing that endears a lot of people to Sean Strickland, like, look, I don't personally agree with a lot of Sean Strickland's beliefs or his personality, his politics, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I think there's a couple of things which where he doesn't get the same flack that someone like Colby does. Mm. One, he can be really funny. Some of his lines in the press conferences, I admit, I just really giggle too. Because it, it's unchanged. It's like, he's saying the things you're thinking, God, dude, you really shouldn't be saying that. Stop saying, yeah. But also as well, the big one for me, it's natural. Yeah, he's I, genuine. I am seeing the real Sean Strickland there, whereas with Colby Covington... I saw a guy playing a character really badly. He, Strickland, is what Colby should have been. Mm-hmm. Strickland is, he, you, every time you see him, he's the realest guy in the room. Enzo Amore style. No, maybe don't be like that guy. But, um, like, I, I still love, you're talking about great lines of his. Uh, I will never, my favorite is all time, is because it turned out true. I will never lose to a guy who does certain things to cartoons. <laughs> You know, uh, keeping it a little PG here, but I, that's incredible. And I love that Adesanya, who thinks he's a good talker, actually isn't a good talker, I think, going like, it's called this. And like, and I don't do that, I swear. Like, you knew what it was called, though. Like, he beat you with your own words. Like, and then he beats Adesanya, and it's like, dude, he called it. He said he would never lose to a guy like that. Alex Bejeda doesn't do that, confirmed. Or Jada Jared Cannonier. Um, but I don't know Cannonier with all the crystal collecting and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. I, 
I don't know. I could probably talk about this for a while. Like, what do people? What are people's uh, yums? <laughs> but just by based on their fighting style, it's like I think Brock Lesnar likes. Oh God, I'm afraid to talk bad about him. He'll he'll find me. Brock, Le- Brock Lesnar likes women in their 40s uh, that like that have poop in their bag. Does that happen? Next part pooped in pooped in Sable's bag. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I. Um, I think this one thing that makes this matchup kind of fun is Sean Strickland defensively very good. Yes. Trick is two plus C. When you watch him fight, you go, how is this punch working? There is no way in hell he's going to hit anybody. Then he does. And it's really weird. And it kind of like, I, I, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> he's such a weird striker that I wonder how that works against Sean Strickland. Like, I feel like there's only one of two outcomes here. Two plus C hits him. And hits him often because he's too weird, or Strickland laughs at him and goes, "That's not going to work on me. I'm too defensively good." Because as much as I love Rob, Rob is super hittable, and I kind of think like Rob gets hit by everybody. Like he wasn't the best defensively, so the striking's interesting. And a big thing to stand out when it comes to Drickers, I think an X Factor here, we're talking about what could happen in the striking. I think people forget just how strong Drickers is and how he can use his grappling. Because, like, he's had 20 wins so far in his career. 19 of them have been finished in the distance. So, like, the Brad Tavares mm. fight was the first time he went the distance. 10 submissions. He yeah. knows what to do on the ground. And oh, yeah. that's something that Strickland just has not tried can try to sort of embrace during this sort of like recent run. Like I think Uriah yeah. Hall was the last time he took someone down. Yeah, because I think he said he doesn't care for it. Like he finds it boring. And he has a wrestling background, which is even funnier. Um I I I feel like with his wrestling background, I have a feeling that he's gonna have success at stopping these takedowns. But then if he makes it like Duplessis can make it strength to strength and really get going from there. Like, because if you go technique for technique against him, Duplessis probably won't take him down. But if you make it a, a battle of strength in these takedown attempts, you're probably getting Sean Strickland down. But here's my X factor for this fight. Cardio. Mm. Duplessis and Darren Till both looked like Ben Rothwell and Mark Hunt when they fought in Colorado. Like he fought in Denver and they were both like third round. <sighs> they both were so gassed. And Duplessis dug deep just to get that Hail Mary takedown and rear naked. How's he going to deal with a high output guy who's always throwing snap kicks, always throwing like slapping one twos? And a lot of forward pressure. Yeah, I I feel like he's gonna wear get worn out here. I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, was it Abus 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 Abus? As they say it, yeah, yeah. Abus he gassed out in the round, you know, after having a ton of success, gassed out, and Sean Strickland put him out. Sean Strickland, who has pillow hands, put him out. You know, that's actually kind of fun to think about. You have two guys who were thought never going to win the title and they're infamous for pillow handed boxing styles. And they win a title beating a guy who was considered unbeatable. 
kind of interesting to think about between Bisping and Sean Strickland. Interesting dynamic there. Both known talkers. Both love to get on people's nerves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think... And they were both good talkers as well. Like, people forget mm-hmm. Bisping had a hell of a lot of charisma. He... he it's one of my favorite press conferences ever is Bisping drunk and just making fun of <laughs> Luke Rockhold. Conceive, believe, achieve. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best ever. And I will say, from being lights. from the UK, I know so many Michael Bispings. We, oh, yeah. Nearly everybody in that sort of pub culture talk and act like him. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Which way are you leaning towards this one? If you had to go into your head... You're putting money on this. Who are you going for? I'm picking Sean Strickland here. I I think he's just better. But Duplessis has made me look like a fool twice in a row now. Is he going to do it a third time? Is he getting a hat trick? I don't know. But I think Duplessis has success early. Then he realizes Sean is still here and he's still talking trash to me. Uh-oh. And I think we kind of see a similar performance uh, like I expect in the co-main event. And that's actually kind of fun when you kind of think about the parallels there even because it's explosive finisher, uh, explosive finisher as the ch- uh, like on the blue corner. And then on the red corner, it's workhorses, workhorses and questionable gas tanks never get tired. It's interesting. It's kind of interesting to think about. Um, I think I think personally, uh, I think it's a decision. I don't think Strickland finishes him. Uh, I don't think Strickland has the oomph on his strikes to do it. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, Roberto Soldic had a hard time putting away uh, Drick is 2 plus E. So I don't know if – I don't know if uh, – and that was at 170 where – no, it was at 185, I think. It was, but I think it was 170, the Soldic yeah, fight. I think so too. That means he was even more dehydrated. It means it was hard to uh, – easier to get concussed. So his chin's going to be better at 185 naturally just based on biology i think you have to lean towards strickland not finishing duplessy but i think it's a decision i think that's where i if i had to put money gun to my head all that um i'm picking sean strickland by decision i think four rounds to one i'm gonna lean towards uh, strickland as well i'm gonna go 48 47 i think ddp is gonna take the first two rounds and then strickland comes on the irony is though like, I have to be honest, in terms of who I want to win, I'm not really sort of, like, emotionally invested in either fighter, personally. I mean, I, I enjoyed doing the Strickland video and learning a lot more mm-hmm. about this guy. But in terms of the two of them, I'm not really too invested. Yeah, but that's fair. This sounds strange. I, I'm picking Strickland to beat DDP, mm-hmm. but I think DDP could do better against Hamzat. That's fair. It's fair. Because DDP th- is a lot more physical and can neutralize that sort of round one burst. I think, well, here's how I look at it. Duplessis and versus Hamzat. Hamzat kind of comes across as a Goldberg type figure. Uh, and Usman was his William Regal, of course. Good way to look at it. I really enjoy that. That's really good. Yeah, I, I just not thought about that. I was like, that actually makes perfect sense. Who's Gilbert? Yeah. Uh, Gilbert is, uh, I almost said Gilberg, but I was like, that's not fair. Um, Haku, because they had the mace Haku afterwards with that guy with the, the luscious locks, the best hair. And like, oh, I love that. Ah, that, and, 
I won't be talking bad about Gilbert like Mr. OOC talks about Haku. I'm more afraid of Gilbert Burns than Haku. Um, but uh, I think is Duplessis the actual DDP? Does he does he get a diamond cutter out of a jackhammer in that fight? Bang. Every time you say DDP, I always just think, yeah. don't say it, don't say it, don't say bang. Like, I, don't. Can, I can tell, like, uh, I listen to the Morning Combat, whenever they talk about Drickus Duplessis, and you could tell Luke Thomas really doesn't want to refer to him as DDP, because he knows yeah. he's going to set Brian away. Yeah, I, every time every time I, I hear it, I just go, don't say it. It's like, I like I basically have the inner monologue of me looking into a mirror, you're a big boy. You You said no more wrestling jokes. Don't say bang. <laughs> bang. <laughs> but you get Kimberly Page, actually, so maybe good for him. True. Good for him. Good for him. I have to say, Joel, I did come into this 297 preview not with the highest expectations we could get an entertaining show, but I think we've done that. Oh, we're pretty good at this job, I think. Well, I certainly I hope we're... so. Like, yeah. Please give us some money. For Patreon? Listen... <laughs> All week, me and Carl have been coming up with Patreon-exclusive content, and I gotta be honest, all of it sounds so much fun to just shoot and do. Um, so, if you want to see, like, us get weird, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's uh, I we've been talking about some really cool stuff for the Patreon to make it more like, you know, more kind of value a, for money. Yeah, and more like exclusive. You're in the cool club. You know, I might even give you my per- – I'm not going to do that. I was going to say give you my personal number. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 no. Uh, unless you know Cheyenne Blismas, I ain't doing it. Um, <laughs> we actually do have a Patreon video which is going to be out now. This is going to be Patreon exclusive. So if you do want to check that out, you know where to go. Patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. Your contributions will be more value than ever before. Um also as well, Joe, one of the things that you can do if you subscribe to Patreon is get our upcoming videos a little bit earlier, including a retro review that we have planned out. So the theme for this one, of course, we are in Canada. So we had a selection of Canadian UFC events. Which one did our public vote for? Which one did you cover? Now, when it comes to memorable cards... You know, this has to be it. This was the record-breaking, until Adesanya Whitaker, but this was the record-breaking fight between Jake Shields and, I'm not impressed by your performance, George St. Pierre. And I gotta be honest, this card, well, I'm not gonna spoil it, but the co-main event's incredible. <laughs> like, if you want to see some good, honest violence in Canada, that's what I was doing this whole card, looking for that violence in Canada. You get... Jose Aldo versus Mark Hominick. You also have the legend Randy Couture taking on Leota Machida. And, uh, yeah, Benson Henderson fights Mark Bocek. Um, and Jason Brills fights Vladimir Matyushenko. You are, you are, of course, talked about UFC 129. Oh, yeah, I couldn't remember the number. I was hoping you would cover <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible with numbers, but I'm great with, like, once you name a fight on it. It's like, yeah, I remember that card. Like, up to down almost. But I'm terrible with the numbers. Yeah, UFC 129 was our pick. I think it's a really good pick because any chance to discuss GSP, I would take because I'm going to be honest. I think he's the greatest ever. I don't even think it's close. Yeah. Even with steroids, it's not even close for me. 
and you're going to be talking about one of GSP's opponents during that legendary title reign. Uh, the poll for the February card is already online. Um, so that one's with UFC 298 taking place in California. We thought we would celebrate one of California's greatest sons. So Joe, who is going to be the subject of our next video? And what are the nominees that the public can choose from? Well, let me pull up the nominee list, unless you have it. <laughs> I, I remember two of them because we talked about it. I think we should have rehearsed this bit. I know, but hey, listen, like, I I'm classically trained in improv. I'm not. I just cover cover for me here. Let's, <laughs> let's say I was. I'm pretty good at cover uh, at it, but let's just say, you know, we don't rehearse because we ain't scared, homie, of messing up live. Okay, and I'm, so that means obviously we're talking about Nick Diaz himself, the best Diaz, honestly. <laughs> the type of to try and find it. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm breaking. Uh, but yeah, Nick Diaz, and it's Strifers. The probably the one everyone's like really excited for is you have. Um, oh no! Oh no! Daily versus Nick Diaz, which. One of the best round one fights ever. Strike Force Miami. I get to talk about Herschel Walker. Go down that weird rabbit hole. Don't you want it to like come on. That one's that one's weird. And BJ Penn, I don't have it up yet, I'm just remembering. Uh <laughs> BJ Penn versus Nick Diaz. His not debut. I've heard some people say that, but his return to the UFC where he took on Nick Diaz. It was actually supposed to be um it was supposed to be him versus uh gsp on that card kind of funny and then he didn't show up for a thing so they were like fine carlos condens fighting gsp now and then george got hurt and then we get to hear the incredible rant of i don't think george is hurt i just think he's scared you know where you at george like we get to have that epic moment which is just fantastic <laughs> uh, and the final one don't tell me carl i'm gonna remember <laughs> and or look it up so bad. What's wrong with me? It's another Strike Force card. Yeah, with Shamrock DS. Actually, that card's awesome too. Yeah. So we have Strike Force Shamrock DS, Strike Force Miami, which honestly. Oh, also, Bobby Lashley's on that card. Do you want me to talk about Bobby Lashley? Robbie Lawler versus Melvin Manhoff. Yeah. I'm not even going to spoil what happens in that fight, but hearing those names, trust me if you haven't seen it, it's incredible. Strike Force Diaz Daily, which. I honestly, the card is good, but that fight is really good. But remember, you're not voting for the main event. You're voting for the whole card. So just saying, Miami is a really good card. And UFC 137. There's your options. Uh, right now, I think I think one is winning, but I don't want to influence y'all's voting. So I no, won't say who. Certainly yeah. not. Um, but if you do have a Patreon request of your own, if there's a card that you want your explicitly to cover then you can donate for that at patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. For just $1, you can select any card that you want to. Uh, we appreciate all the contributions that you can make. Joe has a lot of fun recording these and I have a lot of fun splicing them together. We also have a lot of fun covering the preview shows, Joe, and we will be doing it once again in a short order because I think it's only like a three-week turnaround before yeah. we go to California for UFC 298. Alexander mm -hmm. Volkanovsky has had a reign of dominance atop the featherweight division. Could that come to an end against his toughest opponent yet, the unbeaten Ilya Tupuria? 
That's all to yeah. look forward to. My name's been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neal. And we will be seeing you again in just three weeks' time. This is the INC. Thank you for watching.